One of the things that annoys me the most is that uh, it, it seems like people tend to listen to what they already know and already believe. How's it going, everyone? This is the Cool for Thought podcast, and I'm Arib Khan. So, you radio stations uh, are geared around talk radio about this sort of subject. Right. Um, people don't like to be offended because, and they don't like to have uh, these new perspectives put in their face uh, because. It forces them to, to do some soul searching, to right, think through right. whether this is true and whether that truth needs to cause them to change in one way or another. So it's just, it, it's, it's really cool to see people who are trying to, to bring change in that way because mm. how, how else do you learn? How else do you grow? In this week's episode, we sat down with Sammy Ramsey to talk comfort, homophobia, science, and plenty more. Sammy's receiving his PhD in entomology from the University of Maryland after graduating from Cornell. He's one of the coolest and most woke people I've had the pleasure of talking to, and I know you guys will love our conversation. Um, so I grew up in Capitol Heights, Maryland, um, so a little suburb of D.C. My older brother and my older sister have always had a pretty, pretty solid, discernible impact on me. Um, I, I looked up to them a lot when I was younger, and uh, everything that they said was just the gospel to me as a kid. I used to, uh, I, I probably listened to them way too much because my sister was able to convince me that I was adopted. And I believed her. <laughs> yeah, okay. Is, I'm, I'm starting to find out this is a very common thing with older sisters. But um, I, I, I looked up to my siblings a lot, and um, a benefit that I can see from that is that I was able to learn a lot of lessons. Um, without having to be the person who went through the situation, mm -hmm. I could just learn a lot from watching uh, either mistakes that they made or right. things that they would would tell me. Um, so uh, I'm glad that I was the youngest. You get to you get to avoid a lot yeah. of <laughs> difficulty. So you've told me that your father is a pastor. Yep. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, um, when I was younger, um, both of my parents were were pastors actually. So my mom and and dad pastored a church, um, and it was. I just can't pick out a bad thing about that, you know, like yeah. it, the, the, it was really great to have parents that were very passionate about the gospel because one of the things I can see is, is a really good thing that came out of that is it really instilled in me a love of learning. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, to read a lot um, mm -hmm. because the, the Bible was this gigantic book yeah. and the only way I was going to get through it and actually <laughs> get everything out of it that my parents were saying was so good about it was if uh, I learned to read um, a lot better than, than I was used to. Mm -hmm. So when, uh, when I was 12, I decided I wanted to read through the entire Bible. So um, I got this read through the Bible in a year plan, yeah. and I read through the whole thing in one year. Uh -huh. And uh, it was just so exciting to actually get through this, this entire book that my parents talked about so much. Mm -hmm. um, it also, um, it really complemented my love of science, um, as a kid, I was really interested in entomology, and oh. that's that's carried all the way through. I'm, uh -huh. I'm in school for entomology now, but um, to me, it just seemed so cool to think about it as um, a way of me understanding more about God. Mm -hmm. uh, he would have to be the most creative being in all of existence right. to have created so many insects. I mean, there are... <laughs> three quarters of a million described species of insects on this planet. Uh -huh. like, there are so many bugs. And when you really think about that, all of these different types of organisms, God must, he must really love diversity uh, and he must be really creative. And that's something that really stuck with me and has really helped to drive my desire to understand more about the world because in that way I get a bit of insight into the mind of God. Do you see that diversity showing itself in, um, you know, with whom you practice your faith or, uh, you know, the people you go to church with, things mm -hmm. like that? Well, that's something that I really, I look for. Um, I look for that as sort of an evidence of God at work in a body of believers that we don't just look to be around people who make us comfortable. Mm -hmm. Because if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, um, then it should compel us to seek out the weird people, the different people, the odd people. Uh, it's what Jesus constantly did. Mm. And when we surround ourselves with people who are much like ourselves, we, 
not only are we constantly digesting the same kinds of knowledge and interactions consistently, um, but it just it doesn't help us grow. I was raised in a pretty conservative household. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I remember being like 9 or 10, 11 years old. Uh, and when my parents talked to me about things like, or like the first conversation I had about sex or, you know, things like that, even as a very young child, you know, there were clear boundaries that were being set for me. Mm -hmm. Did the norms that were set around you make you feel different as a child? You know what? There is a magical, magical thing called denial. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we tend to think of it as a very bad thing but I'm really grateful for denial because I think it kept me from dealing with um, the difficulties of certain implications before I had the, uh, the maturity and uh, the development in my cognitive faculties to be able to do that mm. um, when I was younger um, it wasn't that I was it, it's certainly not that I wasn't aware that I was attracted to guys it's simply, uh, I didn't think that that would, would ever be a problem mm -hmm. because my parents had always structured it in a way where um, this, this is unnatural. You know, people, guys being attracted to guys, girls being attracted to girls, homosexuality is unnatural uh -huh. and it's from the devil. And um, so it's the people who are like this, they think that these are their natural feelings, but they're actually from the devil. And it's a choice, and so all you really need to do is pray. Uh -huh. you know? And my parents didn't know that I was uh, same-sex attracted. So all of this was just conveyed in a, a more hypothetical sense for people right. who have these sorts of problems. Um, so for me, I didn't spend... Um, when I first started realizing that I was attracted to guys, I didn't worry much about it from a direction of, oh, this is going to take over my life one day. Mm. I thought, well, you know, I, I love Jesus, um, you know, and all I really need to do is pray and never let these thoughts um, go any farther in my mind. Like, you know, I just, I can't entertain these thoughts when they pop up. I just right. need to, to force them out of my <laughs> mind. And really, I wasn't forcing them out of my mind. I was just kind of pressing them down yeah. far enough where it was harder to hear them. When you were in Bible study as a kid or anything mm -hmm. like that, did you ever hear kids around you say anything that kind of made you feel made you kind of feel awkward because of those feelings that you were, you know, sweeping under the rug? I, I would feel awkward and then I would tell myself that I don't need to feel awkward because they're not talking about me. Uh -huh. They're not talking about me. They're talking about, yeah, like in my mind, I had a clearly established line of there are gay people uh -huh. and there are, like, I wasn't sure how normal it was to, to feel some level of attraction to guys, um, but... In my mind, I just thought, well, you know, I'm a totally normal person. Um, I just periodically will have an odd thought that I need to bring into subjection, that I need to, mm -hmm. to kind of shove down. Uh -huh. um, and so I would, it, it wouldn't, it would make me feel awkward just for the fact that they brought up a subject that is kind of an awkward subject uh -huh. in my mind. Um, but it wouldn't make me feel like they were personally saying something that would be offensive or painful for me right? Um, because they were talking about those gays yeah. and I'm in a totally different category. As you got older, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that like I, I've heard, I've heard from some of my Christian friends um, or people who are practicing Christians mm -hmm. that, you know, homosexuality is, you know, nothing more than a lust mm -hmm. and that lust in general is a sin. Mm -hmm. So then how do you kind of square those two thoughts like from how you were feeling <laughs> earlier? Right. So I can say empirically, I don't think that it's a lust. Okay. And I don't think that it's a lust because that has not been my experience. So I have, uh, that's just not the way that my brain is wired. Like, and I know that it's, it's kind of uh, unusual from what I'm, from my understanding of, of what a lot of guys have said to me about uh, how they feel about other people. Um, guys tend to be a bit more visually oriented. Mm -hmm. And so something they see can, it's just immediately titillating. Oh my gosh, look at her or look at him. Uh, yeah. Their mind goes straight to sex. Yeah. I'm just not that kind of person. Yeah. Uh, my, my brain, I'm, I'm very, um, <laughs> I have a very sweet, cutesy, romanticized <laughs> view of yeah. the rest of the yeah. world. And so when I, um, when I see a, a guy I'm, first of all, my brain just doesn't immediately go towards like the, the idea that this guy is 
really attractive or sexy mm. or anything like that. Um, I have to be uh, connected emotionally with that person before those thoughts really start to, right. to pop up. And I can objectively see someone and say, oh, okay, you know, that person's yeah. pretty or that person is, uh, you know, handsome. But for there to be any, any depth of feeling... I have to be emotionally connected to that person. Right. And then, uh, so when people would talk about uh, homosexuality being inextricably linked to lust, I felt like they had to be talking about something different than what I was experiencing. Yeah. And so oddly enough, they sectioned off a category and made me feel like they weren't talking about me. Yeah. Um, when I think what they, they want anybody who's same-sex attracted to feel like they fit into that category. But because they framed it in this way where, you know, your mind, uh, your mind is focused on having sex with people and not caring about them. Well, no, yeah. I, like I, I, my mind immediately goes to loving and caring for a person and, and emotional connection. So do you feel like homosexuality in a lot of ways is whittled down to just sex? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be recorded. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's. That's so annoying to me. It, it really, 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 really bothers me that people are able to take a subject that is so, um, so complicated, so multi-layered, so multifaceted, and take one aspect of it and say, this is the whole that mm -hmm. represents mm -hmm. all of you. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's something that I'm seeing a lot of now that so I just came out to everybody, which is... It's just been a barrel of monkeys, let me tell you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and um, it, it, one of the things that I've been noticing is that people seem to immediately jump to the idea of sex when they hear me say that, oh, okay, everybody, you know, I'm coming out, I'm same-sex attracted. Oh, great. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's great that you're being sex positive now. Make sure you use protection. Yeah. You, but oh, yeah <laughs> somebody posted that to my coming out status oh wow make sure you use protection <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> so you thought <laughs> I, I oh, oh. So, yeah I mean the number of false equivalencies <laughs> that just surround you know any type of conversation regarding homosexuality is just so interesting to me because I mean yeah going back to the idea that you know, when you first meet somebody who's gay, oh, you know, I need to think about their sex life. As if, you know, if I were sitting down with a woman right now, the only thing that I would be thinking about would be sex, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just don't understand how people can kind of equate those two things. That because somebody has this type of orientation, they're only thinking about one thing. When you were in, like, middle school and high school, you know, we talked about, uh, like, I didn't really meet gay people until I was in high school. And mm -hmm. um, did, mm -hmm. do you think that like when you were going into high school, did you start becoming more open to kind of thinking more abstractly about these ideas that you were kind of like... Absolutely not. Okay. Nope. Not even slightly. Next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very true though. Like okay. there, there wasn't even a hint of that. I probably okay. became far less willing to think about these sorts of subjects with, with any greater depth uh -huh. um, in high school because um, I'd, my relationship with God has always been the most important thing to me. And the older I got, the more that I saw that my relationship with God and my attraction to guys, these two things are not impossible to be held together like I just I cannot there it's 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 not gonna happen and so in my mind there was no reason to give any greater thought to the subject actually I was pretty hostile towards um, I mean I didn't know a lot of gay people so I had no particular person to be hostile towards um, but within my friend group I would say things that were I, I, that I'm actually very ashamed of now um, things that were very unloving um, and uh, intolerant uh, of gay people, but I was just afraid, and for some reason in my mind, it seemed like it would help me to maintain this strength of conviction uh, uh -huh. against ever pursuing anything gay if I was very m mean about homosexuality, if I said really 
um, awful things about gay people. So uh, I would use language that I'm, I, I can't believe I ever thought was okay to use. And um, it, I don't know, it's, there, there is really something to it when people say, oh, the people who are most homophobic are hiding something. Right. I was, oh, you know what? You know what? More than anything else, I think that was the biggest thing. I thought that if people um, heard me saying things that were so unkind towards gay people that they would never ever, ever wager to guess yeah. or, or even just think for a moment, maybe Sammy likes guys. I thought, you know, that would be the best way to keep them from yeah. ever approaching that. So is that what you were afraid of? That was, out of all the fears that I had, I think that was the one that I was most afraid of because my family was very unkind towards gay people. My church was very unkind towards gay people. And I never wanted to lose their, uh, their approval, mm. uh, their love. Um, and I just never wanted to be affiliated with this group of people uh, in anyone's mind. So what I was most afraid of was that somebody someday would think, well, you know, Sammy doesn't embody certain aspects of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Sammy's never had a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if Sammy might be gay. Mm -hmm. So I would try to be more masculine. I would try to dress more masculine. Uh -huh. I would try to speak in ways that would keep that would throw people off that trail throw little head red herrings all over the place if possible a lot of followers of jesus christ say that um god made us in his image mm -hmm. um and that's why they say well god's not gay so that's why uh homosexuality is unnatural i know that's so interesting isn't it uh, good but, old heterosexual Jesus. Right. And one of the things that I always think, right. And one, of the, <laughs> one of the things that I always think about is, you know, like that idea of, you know, you say that you want to go to a church with diversity. Well, God wasn't a black woman. If we're going to say God is Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, God was not a black woman. Mm -hmm. So how was a black woman made in, you know, I mean, I, I just kind of have those thoughts and I'm not saying that black women are not made of the, right in mm -hmm. the mold of Jesus Christ, but I, I really can't tell you how other people square right, those thoughts right. because I'm really not sure. But uh, I've thought about that a lot in my day. Um, and one of the things that really clicked in my mind, God made us in his image, but God is an incorporeal being. So are we saying that somewhere off in the, you know, the, the, the nebulous, omnipotent God has a head and two arms and two right. legs? And no, I don't think that's what scripture intends to convey when they said that we're created in the image of God. What you see in Genesis, when God creates all of these animals and he speaks creatures into existence, it's remarkable, but he does something very different with people. He, sh he sh reaches down into the dust and fashions a human being, and then the Bible says that he breathes into people. And the same word for breath is the same word for spirit. Uh, so you have this, this ruach, you have God breathing into humanity. God gives us his spirit. Yeah. And I believe being made in the image of God is the fact that we have this immortal soul that exists on the inside of us. God is a spirit and we have a spirit. And the part of us that really is actually real is our spirit. Now, I could say that I've met Arib, but I don't know anything... I don't really know anything about you from knowing aspects of who you are, like physically. Like you, you when you go on a, a first date with somebody, you don't say, "Hey, girl, how you doing?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, you, you really don't look a lot like your picture. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I just wanted to ask you some questions, to get to know you better. Um, <clears throat> what's your shoe size, girl? <laughs> how many teeth you got? Uh, like, wouldn't that be a really creepy conversation? Right. Right. That's not how you get to know someone because yeah. getting to know uh, aspects of them physically, you will never know them for who they are. Mm -hmm. When you want to get to know someone, the best way to do it is to find out what they think. Really, the only way to do it yeah. is to find out what their mind is like because that's our spirit. That's who we are. That, that incorporeal being when you learn about someone from the types of books that they love to read because you know something about their thought processes. Mm -hmm. And you, you learn about their, their religious perspectives, their irreligious perspectives. Mm -hmm. You learn about them as a person. So that's, that's kind of the, the thing that um, I think people really have to think through if they ever want to square that perspective or the rest of it really won't make sense. God is the spirit and at the core of everything. We are spirits. This physical body really is not the most important thing. 
I was raised Muslim, mm-hmm. and I mean, in Islam, you know, we're taught that God has no physical, mm-hmm. um, and that, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why in Islam we don't believe that uh, that Jesus Christ is God, mm-hmm. um, that he has no physical being. And so I think that a lot of people kind of confuse the idea, and maybe this is watered down, but, maybe, you know, I think people kind of confuse that word, the image of God, mm-hmm. with, you know, what we're seeing in Trumpism right now, you know, <laughs> that you have to be this white Matthew McConaughey right. to be in the image of God and every, everybody else is the other. What's your relationship like with your parents now? Has it changed at all? Let me tell you a story. <laughs> um, uh, I love my parents to death. And I know that there are times when they are embarrassed about some of the things that they've said in the past decisions that they've they've made in the past um and i i I really i I mean i just don't want them to hear this and to think that i'm uh, still upset about anything that they've done in the past um my dad used to um he used to do deliverance ministry and uh can you explain what that is yeah just to just to unpack that a little bit in the christian community um there is um there's a sort of a charismatic section of, of people. And when Christians say charismatic, they don't mean that you're, you're a really charming person, that you get people on your side. They, when we use the word charismatic, it refers to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And whether you're, um, uh, whether you're a person who believes that the Holy Spirit is an active being, um, that he um, allows for people to do things that they would not be able to do otherwise, that he changes people's hearts and creates miracles. Well, my parents were very charismatic and believing in the Holy Spirit, they also believed very, 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 very strongly in the, um, the work of demons. They believe that demons are very uh, active and what you see in a lot of charismatic movements and from a lot of people who talk about deliverance ministry, they want to deliver you from the effects of demons. Okay. So demons cause drug addiction, demons cause homosexuality, and those are the, the two big things that um, my dad's deliverance ministry would focus on. Uh, he would help people get delivered from, from drugs, and he would help people get delivered from sexual sins, specifically homosexuality. Um, so my dad's, um, he's delivered gay people before. Okay. And so um, <clears throat> this, this, he's, he's been involved with a lot of ex-gay ministry. Wow. Um, and so this was not, this was not the best news for him to hear that his son is actually gay. Uh, it was very difficult for him to hear that. He actually buried his face in a pillow when I told him, uh, and he, he just could not look at uh, my mom and I, uh, and, um, he did not look at me for weeks. Whenever I tried to talk to him, he would look down at the floor he would look up at the ceiling. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody who refuses to look at you. Mm-hmm. I would get in his face. Yeah. I would try to put my face in the path of his eyes. Right. And he just, he couldn't do it. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He didn't know how to deal with the fact that he had a son who was everything that... Uh, he, his son had gone from someone he was so proud of to this conglomerate of things that he just believed was wrong yeah. and evil. And it, it really messed with his mind. He didn't know what to, to do about that. So uh, oddly enough, he suggested a lot of things that were totally unhelpful. So, <laughs> like what? So he wanted me to submit to, um, to, to sort of praying the gay away, finding a way to, uh-huh. to, to get rid of it through, through prayer. Uh-huh. And I'd already explained to him, I have been through that. Like, you asked me about high school. Right. Um, in high school, I was so against the idea of ever being connected with homosexuality, but I knew that these feelings inside of me were growing, mm-hmm. and that freaked me out so much yeah. because I thought that this was a small thing, and more and more and more I was beginning to see this is my primary attraction. This isn't something that's secondary to me being attracted to girls. I'm not sure if I'm attracted to girls at all. Yeah. So... I started praying about it constantly, and then I started fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at one point I fasted for seven days straight, oh, wow. no food. Wow! Um, because in in the Bible there's a scripture that says some demons only come out through prayer and fasting, and I believe that this 
involved some level of demonic oppression. I didn't uh -huh. think I was possessed. Uh -huh. but I thought that there were demons around giving me gay thoughts. Uh -huh. And so I, uh, I fasted for seven days because when I just prayed about it, it didn't go away. Uh -huh. And I had spent a long time praying about it. it. It was the focus of my prayers in the morning, my prayers in the middle of the day, my prayers at night, all the time. This is what I was praying about and it wasn't working. So I thought I need drastic measures. I'm going to, uh, it, it was during, um, it was right before Easter. It was a week before Easter um, in high school. And it just, I thought it worked. Mm. And I got to college and was very aware that it had not worked. I developed so many crushes in college. <laughs> it was more intense than it had ever been. You know what? I think, and this is a little bit ironic, Campus Crusade yeah. convinced me that I was still attracted <laughs> to guys. Campus Crusade is probably the primary reason why I am as gay as I am today. That'll be like a nice little soundbite. Um, because the, the weird thing about it was I wasn't attracted to guys. Uh, I, I, okay, I shouldn't say that. I didn't find a lot of guys in my high school attractive. By the time I got to my junior year, it convinced me I need to talk to my parents about this. Uh -huh. So um, just to give you a bit of a vantage point on that. So I told you about my dad and um, sort of the kind of person that he was when I came out to him. Uh, my mother, <laughs> my mom is probably the most, was the most homophobic person I had met in my entire life wow. up until that point. My mom. Love you, mom. My mom. <laughs> <laughs> But here's just, here's just a, a little snapshot to, to tell you what I mean. When I was in high school, um, I was doing very well um, academically. And uh, I shouldn't say was. I'm still doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, at, at the assemblies, they would honor the students who got a 4.0 or above. You get a plaque, you get to come mm -hmm. on stage. Uh, and so I would get a plaque every semester and it, it kind of became a thing. People would, they had a specific little area where my parents would sit yeah. and everybody would, you know, clap for them. And, you know, other parents in the room would be like, oh, I tell you, those parents right there, they're yeah. doing something right. Yeah. So my, my parents were very proud of what they had accomplished. They would sit right in the front row. And the only thing my mom did not like about sitting in the front row was that the dance team would come up. Oh. And the dance team was led by these two gay guys, oh. and they were very, um, they were, like, they would dance very passionately. <laughs> it was, it was hip-hop dance, there was a lot of pelvic thrusting, and they were right in my mom's face, and she would have this look on her face. I wish that this wasn't um, just an audio podcast so they could see this look right now, but she would just, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> And it would, everyone would see it. And people would come up to me afterwards and would say things to me about, your mom, just she really doesn't yeah. like the dance team. What's yeah. the deal? And I remember one day in the car, I brought that up to her. And she said, I just... You can say it. You can say it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, certain words and things. You, you wonder if you can say those online. Um, she, the, the two of the guys on the dance team, they were twins. Mm -hmm. And both of them were gay. And my mom, she just, she looked over at me um, when, I, when I brought up the subject to her of why she makes those faces at the, the meetings. And she said, it's just, uh, I can't imagine what their mother is going through. I said, hmm. uh, their mother? Yeah. Whose mother? Those twins. She's like, Lord Jesus, I would feel like a failure if I had one gay child. But twin faggots? I would feel like I failed twice. Wow. And, I mean, that's... So that's, that's how my mom felt about gay people when yeah. I was in high school. And this is a person who I was actively figuring out, how can I come out to this person? How can I tell my mom, I'm attracted to guys that doesn't make me any different than before you had that knowledge. I'm still the same Sammy I was before. You have not failed as a parent. Uh, any of the ideas that you have about gay people, get rid of those and learn about what a gay person is from knowing me. Yeah. That's what I wanted her to do, but I was terrified that she would never be able to do that. Uh, my mom has some really, really, really deep-seated. Um, some of them are some some are cultural issues. Some are um, uh, religious, and and the interplay of those two things is what's really um, amounted to her being uh, her feeling the way about this subject that that she's felt. So I was really terrified of coming out to my parents, and um, <laughs> so it, it's funny. Um, I, I had a plan. Um, there were 
a couple of guys um, that I knew who were gay and were Christians. And um, they, I, I actually brought them home with me uh, on, a, on a couple of occasions from school. Uh-huh. So they would uh, come over to my house and hang out. We had this open door policy. My mom loves having company. She loves cooking for people. And uh, so they would come for like Thanksgiving or some other uh-huh. um, holiday where they couldn't get all the way back home because they were from far enough away. And my mom would just fall in love with them. Oh my gosh, I just, he is so sweet and he loves my food. I, you know, he can come over anytime. Yeah. Like, I know, isn't he cool? Yeah, it's like you wouldn't even be able to tell if he's gay. No, no. He, are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> How? Is he, is he sure? <laughs> oh my goodness. He seemed like such a nice young man. He still is, mom. He's just, I mean, he's, he's, he's gay and that's, yeah. that's, that's all right. Yeah. And after doing this, I think I only did it twice, but after doing this a couple of times, my mom's mind started to expand a little bit because mm-hmm. she started realizing maybe the categories that I have for gay people aren't sufficient. Yeah. So that was cool. When I started noticing that the expansion was possible, that gave me a bit more courage to talk to her. So, uh, I went and, um, tried to have the hardest conversation that I would ever have with her. Yeah. Uh, but I, I sat down on the couch and we were just talking and enjoying ourselves. I'm very close with my mom. We have great conversations. I love her so much. And uh, the words just caught in my throat. I remember I started by saying, Mom, uh, I, I'm honest with you about everything mm-hmm. all the time. You have never had any reason to doubt that. Uh, you guys have always trusted me. You never like question me about where I'm going or anything. Right. Like you give me a lot of freedom because you guys trust me. There's one thing that I just have not been honest enough with you about, or honest at all with you about. And I remember after I said that that sentence, I, I structured that sentence on purpose. Huh. I wanted to say something that I couldn't go back on, or I couldn't say, <laughs> you know, what? I was just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Jk, let me go. Yeah. Um, I, I structured that sentence on purpose to make sure that she would be able to ask me, what do you mean, just in case I tried to chicken out. And um, the words just caught in my throat. I sat there for what felt like 10, 15, 20 minutes without being able to say another sentence. Wow. It was like my throat physically was unlocked. It just... So your mom in that moment was probably terrified. Yeah. yeah, she was. She sat there. Uh, I remember her just kind of running her fingers along her thighs a little bit and... Um, and I looked over at her and I looked back because I couldn't look at her. What was her first guess? She didn't, she didn't say anything. Okay. She just remained silent and I remained silent and it was extremely uncomfortable. And then I just, I just said it. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know how I got past that. What felt like a, a little lock in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said it and, uh, she was, I think the third person that I came out to. I came out to a friend at school and another friend at school and then her. And um, she she told me that she loved me and that she would always love me and that it was okay, um, which was the best reaction I could have hoped for. But I could also see so much fear right. in her eyes, on her face. She was worried about so much. Right. And um, we, we just, we had to talk it through. Uh-huh. Uh, and she wasn't ready to talk that night, and I wanted to give her as much time as she needed. Mm-hmm. And so, over the course of several weeks, we talked about it. Um, she talked about her fears, her concerns, her hopes. Um, I had to give her a little bit of time to mourn for the the death of the future that she wanted for me. Because there's this idea that parents build up in their mind for all of their kids. This is how I see your future playing out, and you're gonna get married, and you're gonna have two point three children, and like you know, this is yeah. this is how they they think about yeah. the world. And uh, I think one of the the problems sometimes is that we aren't patient enough. We have our own journey of coming out, uh, and it, it takes us a while. And then we expect that people who have known us all our lives are just gonna have to get it immediately yeah. and adjust to it and be totally comfortable with it. And I think we have to give them a little bit of time. So uh, I was very patient with my mom, I, and uh, she was very open with me. My mom asked me all kinds of deep, probing questions. Yeah. Like, okay, oh, all right. <laughs> she said, oh, you want me to be able to ask you anything? That's yeah. true. Why did I say that? <laughs> so coming out to my mom, 
was a lot more intense and a lot more pressure than coming out to my dad. Because coming out to my dad, I already had a support group. I had already told my brother, my sister, and my mom when I came out to my dad. Mm -hmm. And my sister and my mom were in the room with me when I did it. Um, I wanted it to just be mano a mano. Yeah. But my mom and sister were a little bit worried that that wouldn't go well. So they wanted to be there. (laughs) And uh, my dad definitely had a far tougher time with it than my mom did. Um, he, He just... He, he didn't know how to process it because he didn't have any categories. And I didn't prepare him for yeah. it beforehand. I just didn't know how. My dad um, isn't as... My my dad and I don't have the same relationship that my mom and I have. And it's not that it's a worse relationship. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. We relate to each other differently. Yeah. And um, I just didn't have the kind of relationship where I could prep him the way that I could prep my mom. Uh-huh. So... Um, Do you think that your mom has, I don't know, helped your dad kind of be more open or be more understanding? <laughs> uh, I think at first he was a little bit annoyed with my mom. Uh, he kind of blamed her for it in some ways. Like, you know, he was too close to you. That's why he's gay now. And um, it, it, at first it just, it didn't really help. He couldn't understand why she was so fine with it and so so calm about it. And he was trying to get her to be as shaken up as he was. And it didn't work. I think what helped my dad the most was seeing other people treat me poorly because of the fact that I'm gay. Yeah. It gave him a vantage point for it that he hadn't considered. Yeah. And one that made him very uncomfortable because um, he saw my my former church, the church that um, I've been going to for the past like half a decade. <laughs> and um, he, he just didn't like seeing the way that they were treating me over the subject. It made him very uncomfortable. And then he had to come to terms with the fact I treat him like that too, specifically because of this subject. Is that what I look like? Do I look like them to him? Yeah. And that made it click in his mind. Wow. And it was at a point where I had given up on the idea of my dad and I being as close as I want us to be. Because I assumed he's just never going to get past this. Yeah. And this is going to be a problem forever. So as sad as it is to say, I had given up. And it wasn't because of me talking to my dad or, or any anything like that. He he saw those situations at church and he didn't like being that person. You said earlier that, um, <clears throat> you said earlier that the, the week before Easter, you fasted for a whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of slipped in there that you thought it worked. <laughs> I did. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I really thought it worked. Um, I, I thought it worked because I just, I felt new. I felt energized. I felt like, I mean, when you don't eat for seven days, <laughs> things feel different. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe it's because it's just uh, your glycogen stores are gone and your brain is running on fumes and you're probably <laughs> hallucinating, but things feel really different. And I felt like by making such um, a sacrifice, by making it so clear to God that I want my life to be um, wholly focused on him, I can't imagine that he wouldn't um, fix me that he yeah. wouldn't heal me, that he wouldn't allow me to live in a way that will maximally glorify him. So I had almost no doubt in my mind that this situation was fixed until I graduated high school and went to Cornell University and <laughs> ended up in Campus Crusade and like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. But um, I have yet to mission, um, prior to that, um, I'd actually been exercised before, um, oh. twice. Because wow. <laughs> the first one didn't stick, so you gotta do it again. <laughs> um, I, I, so I'd done a lot of praying about it on my own, uh-huh. and that hadn't worked. And so I thought, well, maybe this is an actual demon issue that I can't handle on my own. I'm going to ask some other people to pray for me. And I didn't want to ask people at um, my I didn't want to ask my parents to do it because I didn't want them to know what was wrong. Uh So uh, it was actually at a a youth revival where I got prayer for it and people tried to, to pray the, the, the demons out of me. And it's, it's a really dramatic experience. Yeah. What is that like? Well, um, people put their hands on you, usually on your forehead and on your back and chest. And, uh, I think it was four of them. And, um, they, uh, some of them were, were, speaking in tongues so you know it's it's very it's 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 an odd experience 
um, because a lot of what's going on is not in English. But the primary person who is taking the uh, who, who's sort of taking the lead here is, is speaking English and yelling a lot of things at you. So, you know, I command that demon to be removed uh -huh. um, because, you know, the Lord, the Lord has not, um, uh, uh, the Lord has not fashioned us to be this way. And, you know, this is, this is not God's plan. So, you know, demon, uh, I command you to loose your hold on this young man because he wants to honor the Lord and yada, yada, yada. But I'm saying this in a, a much more calm way. They're shouting it at you very loudly. Uh, and then there are people praying around you and they put like oil on your forehead and they're trying to like push you down onto the ground <laughs> and their hands are shaking and you're crying and it's, it's really, really dramatic and it can go on for hours. Yeah. And so it, it was an experience and... It, you underwent it twice. Well, the first time I felt like maybe I, I, I didn't believe enough um, because it was obvious that it, it just hadn't worked. Uh -huh. um, I was still... And that's how guys. you felt. Mm -hmm. Like, not, that wasn't somebody else telling you, no. oh, we need to do this again. No, I felt that it hadn't worked and I needed to do it again. I was very motivated to not be gay because I've, in my mind, it was against me ever having uh, a relationship. It, 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 was, it was something that could in some way negate my relationship with God. Uh, it would remove God's favor and his approval from my life. It would make me not a child of God to be a gay person. And so I was extremely well motivated to figure out a way to get rid of this. Because we have two options here. Either this is something that God um, despises, but he doesn't remove from people, and that brings you to the question of why, or this isn't something that God despises, and I'm boxing against the wind. Uh, and. I really needed to, to understand that. And it's funny because it brought me full circle to something that was very, um, something that affected me a lot as a child. Seeing the way that God created the world, seeing the way that God created all of the different animals and insects. Diversity is such an important part of who God is. There, it, scripture even discusses diversity as an aspect of the character of God because God isn't just one being. He's a triune, three in one. He's the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all as one being. There's diversity in God himself. Mm -hmm. And you see diversity in everything that he creates. It's beautiful. He doesn't just make one ocean. He makes oceans. He doesn't just create one star. He, create one star. he creates all the stars, and they're all different. He creates all of these different organisms, and maybe, just maybe, he creates this diversity in humanity because he loves diversity. Maybe, just maybe, race isn't a result of something being fallen or broken about this world, but a result of God loving diversity. Maybe, maybe even the ways that we love each other, the, the romance and, and everything else that, that is involved in us uh, being attracted to and loving each other, maybe that's just another aspect of the diversity that God has built into his creation. That meant a lot to me, to, to consider that, because for the first time, I had a way of looking at this that didn't sting. Are there any aspects of black culture that you think... <clears throat> yeah. You trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what I'm Yeah. I mean, because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty avid Twitter user. Mm -hmm. Um I follow a lot of people on what they call Black Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know, Black Twitter has a lot of uh, a lot of views about homosexuality. Um, are there certain aspects of Black culture that make you feel, and I'll use a Black a Black Twitter term, a uh, some type of way? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do feel some type of way sometimes. But here's <laughs> here's here's the deal with that: issues of culture and race can be very difficult to talk about because um, it's just so easy to take away little sound bites of what people say about a whole group of people and make them a monolithic. Let me say this. I tend to be far more uncomfortable showing aspects of myself that are not typically masculine around black people. And that is the case because the ways that we have framed masculinity in the black community very, uh, very, very, very rigid. Um, you're supposed to be a, a, a very, 
masculine, um, unemotional, uh, intimidating kind of guy. And I am an emotional, caring uh, person who doesn't like to be intimidating. And uh, it's the, the qualities that make me me sometimes tend to be undervalued um, in uh, certain aspects of, <clears throat> of uh, black culture. Now, a lot is changing, but uh, a lot of those qualities are viewed as weak. Um, and in a culture where there are so many homes that do not have dads, it seems anathema to, to then go forward and endorse something that's going to lead to, in, in people's minds, is, is going to you know, be part of the underpinning and the foundation of more homes not having dads. The, the nuclear family. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's really upsetting to people. Yeah. Um, I, I think homosexuality is viewed as a really weird thing in the black community because it goes against everything that we think of of what a man is supposed to be and what a woman is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, it flies in the face of all of it. And it makes people uncomfortable in that way. But then there is that compounded with the fact that um, the African-American community is um, its very, very, very religious for the most part. Um, most black people are um, Christians. And even if they're not Christians by faith, they're Christians by culture. Um, even people that, that you'll see who you know, do not go to church, uh, do not live their lives in a way that they believe that, that they actually believe that the Bible says yeah. they should... They should live that way. Um, those same people will still tell you that, you know, oh, being gay is a sin, though. What? 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 <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, because you got, um, you've got six kids by nine different women. And, like, I just, I don't, I don't, I really don't understand why that's not a a problem? Oh no, but that that's a bigger sin. Like this is a normal sin. That's like that's like a double sin or something. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, um I, I don't I don't even know what to do with that. But it's just <laughs> it's one of those things where um I feel like I'm just I'm I'm really beginning to feel that a lot of people who in in the black community who use the Bible as their primary reference point for being against homosexuality, when they're people who don't believe in the Bible in the first place. I think it's in some ways a cover. Um, it, it gives them a deeper reason for feeling something that they just feel already. Yeah, it, it feels to me that there's just like an unfair litmus test. Mm-hmm. And just like what you said, I mean, that a lot of sins, and it, this isn't particular to Christianity, but I mean, I feel like a lot of people of faith kind of rank sins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, based on their own biases or perceptions, they'll say that, you know, Oh, homosexuality is worse is a worse sin than murder. Yeah, I've heard that before. Oh, that's that's from uh, a sermon by I believe is John Chrysostom was uh, the first person I know of to say that he's one of the church fathers. I think he's from like oh, I'm, I don't want to be wrong on the internet, so I'm not going <laughs> to say what exactly the era was. But long, long ago, more than a thousand years, there was a pastor who was really cool. He was called the Golden Tongued Pastor because. This guy produced a crap ton of sermons. He was extremely, extremely prolific. Mm-hmm. But um, when it came to homosexuality, uh, he was certainly um, he, he certainly had a lot to say. Are there any parts of your faith that you think kind of don't line up with the things that you've learned through you know the plethora of science courses you've taken? I've been told many, many, many times that between science and faith, there is this indelible rift and that they can't be brought together. I've never seen that. And you know what? I believe that um, there are multiple ways to gain revelation about God. I told you that when I was younger that I thought that it was so cool that, um, that I could learn about these insects because by learning about the insects, I had some insight into the mind of God. Well a lot of scientists in the past have felt exactly that way. Kepler um, mm-hmm. but used to, to speak about that on end uh, to, to great length. Uh, 
and I've learned that so many of the scientists that different things are named after in mm-hmm. science were believers. People like you know Boyle and uh-huh. like like incredible, incredible, incredible scientists who have totally changed the face of how we understand the world did it as a way of learning more about God. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that the book of nature and the book of scripture cannot conflict with each other because they have the same author. And so when it comes down to it, when I see a conflict between the two of them, it's because I don't understand something about one of them or the other. Mm -hmm. And so it's my goal to learn more about both of them so that those conflicts, um, so that I'm not left with these conflicts between the two. I'd love to hear you talk to somebody like Bill Maher. Oh, me too. <laughs> I want to do that one day. I want to talk to Bill Maher. I want to talk to Richard Dawkins. Yeah, I wish I had gotten too. the chance to talk to Hitchens, but he's <laughs> gone now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea that like science, that like believing in science disproves God mm-hmm. is something that I see like, you know, Richard Dawkins talk about on Twitter all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's, and, and now... So you're not just on black Twitter, huh? I am not just on black Twitter. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I mean, like, Richard Dawkins is somebody who's, like, super anti-Islam on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? And, like, one of the things he talks about is just, like, the idea that because we have science, we can't believe in something that's so fantastical. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's exactly what you've been saying this entire time. Like, all of these breakthroughs that we make in science, before we make the breakthrough, it's something that we don't understand. Yep. It's something that, like we can possibly physically examine and Mm -hmm. observe, but we don't have any explanation for. And so until we have more explanations, like these are just people who are shutting, shutting themselves out of further information. Exactly. Which is like the complete opposite of what science tells us to do. Exactly. You know what I think one of the problems is, and I I think Dawkins is one of those people, uh, there are people who don't understand the word faith and what they think that it means is uh, sort of like a um, sort of like a Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny kind of thing. Uh, my parents told me that the Easter Bunny exists, and because I am six and I'm too dumb to know otherwise, I'm going to believe in the Easter Bunny. Mm. That's their idea. That's their vantage point of what faith is. And for some people, there's no understanding that faith is a necessary underpinning of science. We would not have science without faith because there are certain things that we have to take like on faith in order to do any science. These things are principles of how we conduct science and we cannot prove them. And so we have to take them on faith. To hear more from my conversation with Sammy, check out the cool links tab in our website, www.coolforthought.com. You'll hear Sammy drop some science knowledge on me, and we share a couple personal stories back and forth, including one time I was surrounded by giant spiders in a third world country. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tweet me any comments, ideas, or questions at U-H-R-E-E-B on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Cool for Thought podcast. I'm Arif Khan. Stay hungry.